Happy Monday. Welcome back. Uh, what's been happening, guys? That's the question. What's been happening? A whole lot, I guess. If uh, if you're on Liberty Twitter, if you're on uh, Liberty Internet, a whole lot's been going on. And it all stems from the podcast I did last week. If you want to check that out, just tick back. Uh, if you're listening on the Lions of Liberty Network, you have to tick back a few podcasts to see my my last episode, or it's just the last episode if you're listening on the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed, a place that whether or not you subscribe to the show there, you might subscribe on the network still. Uh, if you do subscribe to the Lions of Liberty with Mark Claire feed, I ask you, please, a five-star rating and a great review would do wonders to help me grow that feed as well. And uh, you know, I'm not going to get too much into the content itself. I do have an interview to get into, which I think is very much serves as, as an excellent follow up uh, to a lot of what I've been saying in a, uh, um, I guess I could say a, a much more well thought out form. This interview you're about to hear, whereas last week I, I think I will admit I have admitted wasn't necessarily me in my best form, in my most my most refined form, I should say. It was very much much off the cuff, very much emotional in many ways, very much reactionary, but it was also very, very real. It was also the most real I've probably ever been on this podcast. So take that for what you will. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just tune back. The episode is called The Watcher Addresses the Mises Caucus. And at the end of this episode, after this interview, I'm going to be reading some responses that I got to that um, because a lot of them really did mean a lot to me. They all they all mean a lot to me. Uh, of course, on Twitter, on Facebook, you see a lot of the more of the vitriol, more of the hyperbolic comments, um, people taking things the wrong way, people getting sensitive and what have you. Um, but the private messages, which I'm going to give you a glimpse into later, are what really strike me uh, the most. So that being said, let's get over to today's conversation with Brett Lindell. <laughs> All right, with me today is the founder and president of 30A GOP in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. He's also a member of the Walton County Republican Executive Committee, and he's a hell of a guy who recently put me up in his carriage house on my road trip. I'm pleased to welcome back, not back, but back to me because we recently talked. I'm pleased to welcome for the first time here, Brett Lindell. Brett, are you ready to roar? I am ready to roar. I knew you would be, Brett, because you and I roared over a few adult beverages uh, when I was passing through, um, passing through Bay County in Florida. There, yeah, the, the Redneck Riviera. Exactly. Now, though, Bishop, it was actually about, I think it was about a year ago. It was last April, it was about a year ago that I interviewed Tho Bishop and told him to, you know, give me your pitch, sell me on Florida. And uh, certain life events of mine have, have certainly steered me in that direction since then. And I was very, uh, very grateful to, to uh, have a place to stay along the way. Th- thanks to you. And, uh, you know, you told me, I, I mean, you said like, look, I'm an old guy now. I got kids. Like, I'm probably not going to go party or anything. I said, okay, okay, sure. And I, I think we both said like, maybe one beer maybe one beer <laughs> and if you know me and probably if you know brett or any of us one beer is never one beer so uh, you and i had a had a nice deep dive conversation but you know a lot Ooh. of the stuff we touched on is stuff that I, I think my audience could really use to hear so we'll get we'll get where it goes where it needs to go but first i just want to get a little more of your background for everybody uh, if you could just kind of tell people where you grow up grew up and like how you kind of get got into politics and that can probably segue into a, a certain uh, republican congressman that you had the pleasure to work for at one point okay yeah well no first of all i appreciate having me on here awesome having you as a guest uh and if you are coming through the redneck riviera though always makes his promise of he'll buy you a drink if you're through here if you're coming through here, uh, you know, you've got a place to stay. Just hit me up. Um, we we're, we believe in hospitality down here, and it was real uh, real treasure to have you visit. But um, so originally from Arlington, Texas, that's the north part of Texas, right outside of Fort Worth. 
uh, I graduated high school in uh, 2002. So I had already signed up for the Marines before 9-11 happened. 9-11 happens. I'm in the Marines. I'm in the infantry uh, doing all that. Uh, I get out of active duty about 2006, 2007. I hate to cut in so early, but I, I'm just kind of curious as you had yeah. already enlisted and were already like, I guess on your way or ready to go. Um, what were your thoughts when, you know, cause I think prior to that point, there weren't like really any major engagements no. going on. And then suddenly you see this thing happen and I got to think you're thinking, Oh, my job might turn into a little more than I, than I had envisioned. Yeah. And it was interesting. I, I'd wanted to be a Marine since I was like very little and I had no family in the military. So why I wanted to do that, I have no idea. G.I. Joe would I mean, be my guess. <laughs> yeah, probably G.I. Joe. And and that's a good point about like the propaganda and stuff. I remember seeing Desert Storm uh, and things like that. And I think about that very heavily now that I have three little boys under five and the stuff with Ukraine going on, like seeing that kind of stuff and uh, what that might mean, you know, 15 or 20 years later for them. So I had joined up uh, and then 9-11 happens and I, rem- I was at a Waffle House actually, you know, like, like our skip period or whatever for, for school and that happened. And I remember my parents kind of had ignored or, you know, hey, you're joining the Marines, that's cool, whatever. But then when that happened, I think everything became a little bit real. So yeah, I mean, honestly, you didn't think too much of it because we hadn't even invaded yet. I was still in like a year or two before we, you know, we had done the invasion in afghanistan and stuff like that that was more special ops but uh the true infantry on the ground didn't start until 2003 so it was uh it was one of those kind of definite found myself in a big hornet's nest type of thing but you know that's the good or bad thing about your 20s um you know not really yeah you're not really thinking about it like you you do in your late 30s so got out and uh you know, like a lot of people, I was uh, went to school, uh, obviously was having those kind of moments of like, all right, hey, look, I was proud to be a Marine. I'm a proud American. But like when I was over there, something obviously didn't sit right. And you got to imagine this is like 2006 before that big kind of anti-war movement was coming. And of course, then the Ron Paul movement happens. Uh, I'm actually going to school and where I'm finishing up my school is at, in Galveston, Texas. Well, who's the congressman for that area, but Congressman Ron Paul. So uh, I apply for an internship to the, to the office. I get accepted. And in 2011, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm an intern for Ron Paul. Now, that sounds cool. Uh, and it was cool, but it was, you know, I wasn't like fighting the Fed, <laughs> you know, like a horde of Fed zombies or anything. You know, I was just doing a bunch of clerical work, right, which... Right. You know, a lot of people don't see that side of it. In his Lake Jackson office, uh, where you kind of serve as the constituents, uh, you know, we're just doing things like helping people apply for citizenship and visas and VA and stuff like that. So I worked in that office for a little bit. And then uh, my wife and I were also very involved in the grassroots campaign. We were both delegates to the, you know, the, 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 the Senate and then, you know, state conventions and stuff like that. We got ousted like every other good Ron Paul delegate. Uh, and I didn't make it to the national convention, but, uh, but yeah, it, it was interesting. And I think uh, what I got from that moment. So in my internship, I really didn't see Congressman Paul that often, uh, and, but he did on my last day, make some time for me to have a, a good interview. And I think this is kind of why you wanted to have me on. This was an extremely pivotal part of my life. Uh, you know, keep in mind, 
you know, we're, we're, we're in Houston protesting against the fed every day. We're going to every one of his speeches. We're phone dialing stuff. We're yeah. going everything we can. And so we're all about politics, 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 and fighting the good fight. And he had this meeting with me and this is, you know, heat of his campaign and, um, you know, asking me questions. And he, he said something to me that I'll, I probably remember the most out of everything. He said, Hey, Brett, are you interested in, in politics? And I said, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I am, um, Congressman Paul. Hell and, yeah. And he in told the Fed, me, brother. <laughs> yeah. In the Fed, like, are, are you? And he just said, okay, just make sure you know how to make a living first. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of like, okay. And he, and he's like, look, you need to like go, you need to build a career, uh, you know, start a business, build a family. He's like, and if you still want to do politics, um, you know, you're not going to be able to be bought or sold out by anything. Um, you're going to have the things that kind of matter to you front and center, and you can make a real impact by doing that. And so I hear it. It wasn't really in one ear out the other, but you know, this is height of the campaign and stuff, but his words came to echo, you know, years and years later, you know, it always stuck in my head, but, uh, I mean, those might've been the most prescient words I heard from him. And as we've kind of gone through the years and grown up and done jobs and stuff, and even most recently, this kind of post-libertarian moment or whatever, this whole time I've been like screaming, like, like, look, like this is the way, you know, I sound like the Mandalorian or something like, you know, we need to focus more on these things. So it's like Ron Paul was uh, the first post-libertarian in a way. I mean, I mean, because I, I think the term has been bandied about to, to almost be meaningless now. But, you know, it, the really one of the central messages of a lot of people having that conversation, I guess let's put it that way, is is to get your own house in order, you know, to focus on yeah. on being strong and, and having a strong life, a strong, um, you know, strong um, community, family. And then that can translate into political work, but it, it doesn't really work well the other way around. Yeah. And I got a really unique experience, like living in that area and that being, you know, even well after I left that internship and even the Ron Paul campaign was over and stuff, but, you know, we were young professionals living and working in Houston. And I'm not kidding if every time we weren't at a bar that um, there wasn't someone there who Ron Paul had delivered, like someone were drinking a bar like, oh, yeah, Ron Paul actually like delivered me, right? And he was a small businessman, not just with his, uh, his practice, but, you know, he had lots of little things. So he was a stalwart of the community. And, and it was really interesting when you'd go to these different, um, not campaign stops, but like uh, his congressional stops through his district, you know, it wasn't the hardcore Ron Paul fans there. It was Ma and Pa Kettle the taxpayer, right? And what was, so, you know, if you live there, the Ron Paul shirts always said Ron Paul taxpayer's best friend. And that's how like that whole, and and his district is huge. It went all the way down to Wharton, different parts of Texas. And it's a bunch of people in the country and cities and stuff who uh, they didn't know Ron Paul for the, you know, big uh, tidal wave of support he had and the excitement. He, they knew him for like a good, like, member of the community. I, I think the term right now is kind of being used like a natural elite. Um, and he was just a big part of the community and they're like, yeah, yeah of course we yeah. like this guy to represent us and take care of us. That, that's, that's where I, I think, think a lot of people described- miss it. You know, his, uh, his, uh, Ron Paul moments in the debates in 2008 and, you know, 2012 or whatever it was, those would not have been possible without 
years and years and years of him just being a guy in his community. You know, Pete uh, has described the natural elites as like the guy you would trust with your kids, like the guy you would go to in your community with a problem. I mean, like, who would you trust with your kids more than Ron Paul? (laughs) Yeah, and uh, absolutely. You know, he's one of those people who and everybody's described him at this point. He's just a normal guy. And, you know, every time for all the people are saying like, oh, never government involvement. I mean, he was there like giving trophies to baseball teams and helping build highways and stuff like that. And that's a part I really think gets missed. If uh, I think I was telling you, I was a little bit confused in 2011 because he had that kind of counter campaign to the Tampa campaign. And it was uh, the name of it was like the Republican convention or whatever. And I thought it was so corny at the time, like Republican, like we're, we hate Republicans. You know, this is when we're all starting to be like, screw Republican party. Let's, you know, go to the libertarian party. But I think honestly, he was trying to subtly give a message. You know, he had already gone through that libertarian phase, obviously as a candidate, but then also the libertarian party with Lou Rockwell and Murray Rothbard among others. And he was, I just get this feeling he was kind of being like, Hey, look, don't, this is a good mechanism. I've clearly gone differently and come back and think he was trying to hint to everybody. But of course, if you know, Ron Paul, he's not going to tell anybody what to do. He just wants to uh, inspire him and stuff like that. So no, no mistake on his part or whatever. I still um, probably, probably one of the most impactful people in my lives and in that meeting and just, you know, 45 minutes completely changed my, my whole direction. So if, if he hadn't had that talk with you, do you think you might have just tried to dive directly into political activism and maybe like put career stuff on the back burner and just, you know, I mean, who? it's hard to say how things could have turned out with a, a pivotal conversation. Yeah, it's hard to say, but I look back at, you know, a bunch of those people who were with us who are like hardcore activists and they're still doing it today. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like we need them. But, you know, uh, maybe. <laughs> braggingly me is just a guy, a dumb construction guy who owns construction companies. I have far more impact in my local community by owning construction companies and being involved in stuff than maybe some of them have from, you know, 15 years of protesting in front of the fed. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm not going to disparage them, but yeah, I think about that. Like that was a very monumental talk to me among other things that kind of said, okay, if you're serious, if you're serious about liberty, if you're serious about freedom, my personal path was go make yourself someone like worth paying attention to, you know, so more of the, the Elon Musk route rather than the, and, you know, great timing for what's happened this week. But, you know, I wanted to be someone to impact people around me, even if it wasn't by convincing them that, uh, you know, the nuances of, uh, of Austrian economics, right? Right. Which I completely agree with, but I have more impact by being an example and setting it and people watching me and then, you know, trying to do that. Let's talk about that then how you took, you you know, the way you explained it to me is, you know, you always call yourself, I I don't think you're dumb, obviously, but you call you like to call yourself a dumb construction guy. So how did a dumb construction guy, I'm doing quotes for anyone not watching the video, um, take this knowledge like everything you learned about let's say austrian economics uh free markets or what have you how did you take that you know channel through ron paul's advice and then apply that to the business world how did you go from a construction guy to you know someone who you know operates um on the entrepreneurial end yeah so i mean that was hard and i struggled for many many years and 
struggle is part of it. Um, there's no shortcut and you almost have to get to a point where you're absolutely sick of it. Um, one of the critiques I would have of the Liberty movement post Ron Paul is that I feel like they, they have delayed that struggle for a lot of people too long. You know, they've encouraged people to get out, you know, go hide and go stick your head in the whatever. Um, I I was kind of telling you now, Peter Schiff is one of my greatest role models, but I, I call this my Peter Schiff was wrong moment. And, uh, and it's because, uh, you know, he, at the time he's telling people, oh, you know, I, I would hear people call in and say, Hey, I'm a young guy. I've got money. What do I do? And he's like, you know, buy gold, buy food, buy tuna, you know, stuff like that. And like, I believe that for a very long time until I finally just absolutely got sick with it. And I, I remember a comment, it might've been Hans Hermann Hoppe or somebody who came across to the United States. And he was shocked that say like. Rothbard and other people weren't super wealthy or something like that. Some, mm-hmm. some comment like that. And the, and the point he was kind of making is like, well, you have all this knowledge. How have you not you know, turned it into whatever? And, and that perplexed me because you know, I believe in Austrian economics and free market economics. And, and if you honestly want to know even a little bit more, I was on Hunter Hastings podcast, the Mises podcast, kind of talking about my business. Go look that one up. Uh, but I basically said, okay, if, if I truly am a believer in Austrian economics and I believe that free market economics, this should give me the lens to look at the world. Mm-hmm. And I just started to break things down a little bit. I, I started, I had to kill some of those Hindu cows of don't get into real estate. Don't get into construction. Now's a bad time to start a business. I just had to be, you know what? Hey, maybe I go start this and, and, and the world collapses, but that's irrelevant. It's going to collapse regardless. So I might as well make an effort here. Yeah, Never plan for and, the end uh, of the world. <laughs> well, yeah. Right. Like if it's the end of the world, who cares? Uh, but I mean, if you think of the doom and gloom kind of perpetuated by that, it, I think it scared a lot of people away to not take action. And that's another part too, is uh, to start your own business, it's one idea and it's whole lots of action. Mm-hmm. And when we get into this kind of maybe philosophical world, it's a lot of talking about ideas. And I think sometimes people uh, get confused that ideas are enough. Um, and you know, to quote the great Marshawn Lynch, you know, I'm just about that action boss, you know, you don't have to have the greatest idea. Uh, it's really about that action. So I just kind of saw, you know, some, uh, some market characteristics here. Uh, Hey, look, we have a a shortage on housing uh, and especially there's a shortage on trades to do the housing. Hey, we have a surplus in young guys here looking for work. Uh, okay. Is this place somewhat recession proof? Well, the Beaches are beautiful. The water's beautiful. Doesn't it's a cool hurt. place to live. Okay. I think even if uh, we're in some post-apocalyptic Mad Max world, I'd at least want to be here rather than downtown Atlanta, right? So uh, it was some really basic concepts like that. And I, and I kind of had to prove it back to myself. Like, okay, this is right. Of course, there's a lot more detail in terms of building out the business plan. But it really just came down to action. And I said, um, okay, look, I can, you know, so my first company is a company that puts siding on homes. And I said, Hey, look, there's people making money doing it today. I also can do what they do, but I think I can do it better. So I was solving a current problem that existed. And, you know, 2018, we would have done 45 houses a year. And this year we'll do about 1300. Wow. Um, you know, so we've just had massive scale and, and then I've got a roofing company where I've done the same thing. And then we're also looking into, uh, I was purchased by a nearly billion dollar company last year. Uh, and we're partnering on some other things and 
honestly, it all goes back to the basics of me looking at very basic economics, Austrian economics, free market economics, allowing me to assess like the landscape, but more than anything is action. Action, action, action. I've got a sub stack that I'll tell you at the end of it. It's brettlandell.substack.com. I guess I'll tell you now. But uh, I started it to kind of, because I get a lot of people ask me advice on like how to start things up. Um, And I found myself saying the same things over and over and over. Uh, And I was like, all right, let me at least document this. So if a buddy came to me and wanted questions, he could go read it. But it was like somewhat therapeutic in a way, because I was like, I'm trying to boil down the essence of like what the success was. And, uh, it's not the great idea, very honestly, at least in my world. It's not the greatest idea. It's the action um, that matters more than anything. You could give me an, uh, a D plus idea, but with the right amount of action behind it, you know, you can take that a lot of places. And I feel that um, you know, a lot of people will hold themselves back by looking for the perfect idea. And, and I would say that that is not only bad, but also just a poison pill to your success. Yeah, I mean, just to uh, look at it in this, with something that I'm familiar with, I, I can say, like, you know, as far as podcasting goes, for example, yeah, you can try to, like, figure out the perfect podcast before you ever have a podcast. You can try to get your audio perfect, perfect your interviewing, maybe do 100 practice interviews, this and that. You can do a million things just to try to get the perfect launch going. And you're still not going to have the perfect launch. Like it's impossible because you, ha- right. you can only learn by really doing, by really doing it, and by really being in the fire. And I think that applies to anything, um, especially when it comes to business. It's like we can have all the ideas, you can have everything figured out in paper, it can be perfect. And then as soon as you start the actual actions, as soon as you start interacting with people, that's when you really learn. That's when you really yeah. learn what it, it, it kind of the, the actions you take guide the future actions, and you can see how people react, and you can see uh, this and that, and I, you know. I think what holds a lot of people back is something you touched on. So maybe you can kind of push through how you, how you, how you're able to push through, let's say like the idea of, I don't even know if I have the right idea here, you know, or yes, I have experience in this area, but what, what am I going to do different? Like what, 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 what within you was able to help you actually move from this idea phase to take the first action, whatever that action may be. Maybe the first action is just making a phone call or like doing some research or talking to someone, but maybe you can walk us through a little like the pain you felt trying to get that first, that first step taken. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, you know, I say step one, I mean, you have to get so sick of where you're currently at in life to want to change it. Um, You just have to, and, and that sucks for a lot of people who've trained themselves to, uh, compartmentalize or take a lot their whole lives because you know it, either I see these people who are just able to take an overwhelming amount of disappointment and that's a shame and so if you look at me today who is I whatever I was four years ago that person is dead I'm a very different person mm-hmm. and and now I'm so sensitive to the fact of a type of suffering uh, to bring me to the point to like take action but when I think of that very first time you know I was doing your typical job making X amount of money, hoping for a 3% raise every year and stuff. And, and I, you know, I, I, I grew up and, you know, your parents tell you you're smart and people tell you you're smart. And I was disappointed in myself. Like, man, if I'm so smart, why can't I figure this out? And, uh, you know, I finally just had to get absolutely sick of it. But the other part too, is, um, I had to like start to set traps for myself. So like shame and pain and fear are huge motivators for me. And uh, I remember 
when I said, okay, I'm going to do this business, um, I enlisted one of my good friends to almost set like a poison pill. Uh, he was actually leaving and starting it. I was at a very cushy, cushy corporate job and we set it up to where we were like almost like daring each other to like jump off the cliff. And we were setting things in place that we couldn't take back. Like, Hey, look, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go call this builder and ask for business um, today. And if you like, if you don't do it, you know, I'm just, I'm going to ridicule you. Right. And it, but it has to be something real. It has to be something you're accountable for. I also, I just went around and I told my family, this is what I'm doing. So that way, if I were to like want to back out or back down that I was just completely ashamed to do it. Uh, Mm -hmm. Interestingly, I did that with the Marines too. I remember when I was like in third grade or whatever grade it was where I finally said, yeah, but I'm going to do the Marines. I remember as I got closer to high school saying, you know, you could chicken out of this if you're not careful. Mm -hmm. Um, So what I did is I wore a Marine hat every single day. I ran with the recruiters. I told everybody I knew I was going to the Marines. Anytime like a yearbook asked you what you're going to do afterwards, I said that. Mm. And it it came off like maybe bravado or confident. It really wasn't is because I was like setting myself up to feel the ultimate shame if I backed out of it. It's also sort of creating your own reality ahead of time. You know, when you just say this thing over and over and you start acting as if you're going to do this thing, even though, yeah, you could just decide tomorrow not to do it in theory. If you start living that way and talking that way and acting that way, it's almost inevitable. You almost can't help but to do it. Yeah. And, um, but the thing is, it, it honestly is so easy to do your own thing. Everybody just has this fear. I don't know if it's maybe like depression style of schooling system or whatever it is that's made us not, you know, be creative enough to think we can. But um, here's some, all of this sounds negative what I'm saying, but if you figure out your one good idea and execute that to like a C minus level, Every idea, the the biggest problem you have after that, if you're successful, is like picking which great idea to go with next. Um, It's that first one that's really hard. And so I usually tell people like, hey, if this is your first thing, find something ugly. Don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't, you know, don't try to send people to Mars or start an electric car. Like, you know, do something like cleaning fast food restaurants. Or can you be the guy who's you know, great at cleaning toilets or something like something that solves a problem that is so disgusting that no one, you know, mm. where you're kind of insulating yourself to be like, well, of course it's valuable because it's a horrible task I've chosen to build a business around. So at least I have some comfort there. <laughs> so uh, k- kind of going back to what you said, you know, I, I set myself up for, I put a lot of pressure on myself. That's not right for everybody, but that does work for me. Uh, what's interesting now is the burdens and pressure I have is, you know, I've got 24 full-time employees. Um, you know, maybe a hundred subcontractors working for me. And, you know, I've got three kids under five and a wife. And so I have this immense burden. I mean, I, I can barely wake up in the middle of the night and go back to sleep because I'm just thinking of like payroll and mm. is this guy engaged? Is he happy? Does this person need to be promoted? And that sounds horrible and it is, but it's also like a blessing uh, because that's what, you know, that kind of burden you put on yourself really... It, Honestly, everybody treats themselves horribly. I think that's one of Jordan Peterson's, you know, 12 rules. Um, if you can put your in a, your, yourself in a spot where if you don't do what you say you're going to do, you let somebody else down that you care about. You know, I think that's honestly a very good trick to play on yourself. So 
that's kind of why I go around and, and told family and stuff like that. I think that what holds, I, I say any people, it holds me back too. I, and probably in all areas of life is, is not just self doubt, you know, like I think we can all have moments of doubt, but sometimes it's, it's the immensity of the responsibility that you'll have to take on by doing things in a different way. Like, you could just stay at your normal corporate job and sure you you would you know you're gonna, the most you're going to do is get that 3% maybe even get another role and make another 10 grand a year or something but there's a lot less responsibility when you do that you know i mean you, yes yeah. there is you still have the the obligations to your family or what have you but you don't have the weight of the world on you um and maybe in some ways that the fear of having that weight holds a lot of people back they might just say well i don't want the weight of the world on me you know i just want to yeah. worry about my thing but i think in the end the way the world's on you anyway like you know we all have the weight of the it world is. on us so we can we can pretend there's an easy way to not feel it but we're still going to feel it eventually well you know what you're also going to be feeling my friends is those aches and pains if you don't rush out right now you don't have to rush out you actually just order online but you're going to want to get yourself some of the fine, fine CBD products from our friends at Paloma Verde CBD. Our friends in question are Carlos and Vanessa Abelar, a lovely couple, a wonderful couple, a like-minded couple who support this show. And if you like this show, then you probably want to support them and support yourself, support your own body, support your own health, your own well-being, your own feelings of peace, your own ability to sleep better at night. It's one of the things CBD has been incredible for me is helping with my lifelong insomnia issues. It's also the solve, the incredible solve that has done wonders for that damn crick in my neck. I'm telling you, you're not going to find a better deal on CBD products by, than by heading over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com and using our discount code ROAR. That gets you 20% off your order, any over order over $75. If you use that code, you're going to get not just the 20% off, you're also going to get free shipping. You really can't ask for a better deal. I highly recommend the sour apple gummies. Those were freaking delicious. My only complaint, as always, is that they're just too delicious and you don't need to eat them all in one sitting. I really wouldn't recommend eating them all in one sitting, but it's, it's, it's hard to resist because they're that darn good. Give them a shot. Use that discount code ROAR at checkout by heading over to PalomaVerdeCBD.com. You will not regret it, my friends. Well, and also like to counter that point a little bit, because there will be a lot of people who back out of doing their own thing because they're like, well, you know, I don't want all the responsibility. Um, You don't actually have to start your own business to be like a high earner, a high contributor. I have a lot of very high level employees who work for me who make a ton of money. And, you know, they aren't the entrepreneur owner of the business. Maybe they're in an equity position. Maybe they're just a high bonus person or something like that. But if you're at one of these jobs, you don't just have to go jump and do your own thing. Like, can you find a way to be the most lethal at your company or the most contributive or put yourself in a spot where, because, you know, if you're running an operation, you know, me as the CEO of my operation, I'm constantly looking for people at those like entry levels and lower levels of like what they can become. And for the guys who show me like, they don't have to know the answers, but the guys who make it vocal, like, hey, I want to learn more or I want to do this, but actually follow through with the action to be better. Um, you know, those guys all groom into people who will be, you know, extremely high earners under their own right. So, 
you know, there is a misnomer in that everybody has to go start their own business because it's just not realistic that everybody will. But I mean, you can be someone who, I mean, there's guys right now who are high contributing employees who make far more than I do with me owning all my companies, right? right. They found yeah. a way to be super effective uh, with the resources they have. And so that's what I would challenge back to other people. Like, there's no reason you can't have anything, anything and everything you want in this life whether it be owning your own business or being like a very high contributor or working for some somewhere or somewhere else. Another aspect that I want to touch on, and uh, we, this might delve into a little bit of the weird for some people, but you yeah. know, a topic that we talked about a little bit was uh, the idea of synergy and how certain things can just, you know, opportunities can prevent the, present themselves to you and you, you can make a decision. You can either take an opportunity and see a connection somewhere or you can ignore it. And so I'm just wondering if you can touch on that topic a little bit, how, how like, when you're in business, when you're sort of looking for new ideas and always have your mind open, I think that's one of the important things here is like having your mind open to new ideas. Like what, what is it that, that lets you see like, Oh, there's a synergy here. And, and I have to actually go for this thing. Even if it's, you know, might take me out of my comfort zone, even if it might not be the thing on paper you're supposed to do. How do you, how do you identify that, that inner feeling and follow that inner feeling that, okay, there's, there's a connection here. There's something to pursue and I just have to pursue it. Even if I don't even fully understand exactly exactly what it is I'm pursuing, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like me and you had mentioned the book, it's a book I read a long time ago, Celestine Prophecy. There's a moment in there. Jordan Peterson also talks about this too, where he has that little voice inside of him. Yes. And I think he was basing himself off of either Aristotle or one of those guys. The crazy thing about that is, you know, we're talking about synergy and I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is kind of like the Celestine Prophecy. And then right as I'm saying that, you're like, have you heard of the Celestine Prophecy? I'm like, well, that's the synergy. There it is. I think I honestly have it on my bookshelf somewhere. And I remember reading that and uh, I'll tell you what that book did is it made me uh, in a weird way. If I would see someone like at a event or a lunch meeting and they had pepper in their teeth or something like that, I would always go say, hey, you have something in your teeth. You know, one out of like, it's the cool thing to do, right? But I didn't ever want to get to that spot. You see so many people like, imagine people like your friends on Facebook with them and you see them out in public, but you, you like don't actually say anything. I'm like, that's so weird. Like we're friends on Facebook, but we won't engage each other in public. There's this weird thing and people start to put up these walls between each other. So, I mean, if you asked my wife or people I work with, the kind of awkward directness is like my superpower. And I've just gotten really good at it. If I get a feeling that someone is interested or something, or we'd be good. I honestly just immediately call them and start talking to them about it. Like uh, for instance, we're looking at some like a retail development that involves like fast food. And I had known a guy unrelated and a completely like three businesses away for a customer. And he had happened to own like one or two like Smoothie King franchises or something barely like barely knows me and so i i said okay we're going down this path huh he's like a real cool guy let me call him right away see if he's ever interested in something and that's kind of like an awkward moment because i'm sitting there doing you know the freaking happy dance for like 30 seconds on the phone like hey you know joe i know we barely met that one time do you remember i remember one time you said something about you on this franchise let me tell you what i'm doing and I kind of do my spiel. And I will say 99 times out of 100, that person on the other side of the conversation will be like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said something to me about it. Mm. So um, I work really hard to do that, not just for like people interactions. So uh, every day I'm out like talking to people, everybody is a potential employee who might work for me one day. And I'll kind of like pick up on some subtleties they say, and I'll even approach them and like, hey, would you ever, and I'll approach some people who are like way above me, like way above me run way more stuff. And I'll just be like, Hey, 
you know, and here I am, you know, younger guy, got a portfolio of businesses or whatever. They don't know anything about it, but I'll approach them and say, Hey, look, would you ever be interested in doing this? I'm doing these things. And I'm not kidding. If you don't get half those people who look like high level executives and they are, they'll be like, that's really interesting. I'd like to hear more about it. Right. And it's, uh, and it's probably not that often that people come to them out of the blue like that, no. especially if they're not directly in their, you know, their, their circle of, you know, their normal circle. Yeah. I, I reach out to people all the time and I mean, what's the worst that can happen? I look dumb. I mean, I don't care. And I honestly, I use the burden of my businesses to like force me to do that. So anytime I start to want to chicken out or whatever, I said, okay, I've got 24 full-time employees and a hundred contractors counting on me to go out here and do the right thing every single day. So you, Brett, might not want to do it for yourself, but for them and for their families and everything, it is your responsibility and privilege to go out there and talk to this person who might be like the next contributing team member or something. So, um, you know, that, that might sound kind of Pollyanna or cliche, but I really put everybody who, if I'm the leader, I put all my people ahead and uh, that drives me to do a lot of things that may make me feel uncomfortable or awkward from the outset. But at this point, I don't even care. Well, since I like to relate everything to podcasts, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds silly because it's just an email, but even early on, you know, reaching out to certain guests, I would be like, man, I, I don't know if I should be saying that. this guy doesn't know who I am. Like, this is so weird. Like, I'm, I'm just some guy starting a podcast. And I, and it, I was nervous before pressing the send button sometimes, which is even more yeah. silly because no one's going to even see this. Like, worst case, the guy like, like, what do I think? Then you imagine we always have this tendency, I think, to imagine. I don't know if it's like a defense mechanism of our minds or whatever. Our minds like to at least mine does likes to imagine just yeah. the worst possible outcome. Like, oh, my God, if I do this thing, this terrible thing might happen. You know, Glenn Jacobs is going to email me back and say, what a fucking moron you are. I can't believe you reached out to me. Of course, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know, It's like the, that worst case scenario that we imagine pretty much almost never happens, but our mind likes to create it for us. You know, just recently, as you know, I reached out to Christina Peshaw online about speaking at my little political club. I mean, here's a woman who's got 150,000 followers on Twitter. I've got maybe 500. And uh, I just reach out and come say, absolutely. I'd love to do your event. You know, did it with uh, a few other people who are coming up who I w- won't reveal just yet. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, I asked myself, like, okay, you know, people, because I like, I'll tell my brother or something and he'll like, well, what makes you do that? I'm like, honestly, there's something very magical in the truth. Hmm. Um, like, it's a spell, very honestly. There, there's something, and I, I think that when they, you know, the golden rule and stuff like that, I think there's more to it than that. I think there's, there, there's something unique and and what's the truth? Hey, you, I'd like you to come speak at my event. Like I am telling you the truth or, Hey, you look like a special person with a lot of skills. Would you ever want to come work with my company? Like what's wrong with that? And so I'm just trying to like dive deep into what's inside of me and try to articulate what I hear in there without, and, and I mess up sometimes, but Oh, well, uh, and I find that people find me maybe quirky, but extremely genuine and sincere. And I just build a reputation then where, you know, if I'm saying stuff and maybe I make a misstep on accident uh, because they know where I'm coming from. So it kind of builds like a good, you know, it, it's just a good uh, fundamental to kind of base yourself off of that. You know, the truth is, is something unique. And something you mentioned there, you know, like if, if you mess up, oh, well, I think that is something that I mean, again, I'm speaking a lot about myself here. I always am in some way, shape, or form. But you know, I, I have a tendency anyway. I'm not going to speak for everybody, but I and I assume others too have a tendency to hyper focus on my mistake, you know, or or hyper focus on that one yeah. wrong thing I might have said or done. And 
I'm thinking about it for a week where I know the other person or whatever. They probably does not even yeah. thought about this for one second, you know, but I'm like going, going nuts instead. I mean, I think it is a skill there to just be able to say, Oh, well I messed up and move on yeah. and not spend days obsessing it. Was that something you had to, is that something that comes naturally naturally to you? Or does that something you had a skill to develop? No. Cause like even, so like we had an, uh, a political event last week and, uh, and we had the, we plan this political event. It's months in uh, months in planning. Christina Peshaw. We should have had like over 120 people come. We ended up having just 50 come because literally at the last minute, uh, freaking Dr. Malone and Dr. McCullough from the Joe Rogan podcast come to speak. I'm not kidding if it wasn't a mile down the street. And so it pulled like a crowd of a thousand people. And I was just like beating myself up all night. Like, man, like, but uh, like this event didn't turn out the way I wanted to. So no, it does not come naturally to me. And I obsess over little things too. I don't think that's wrong either. Like I care about what I do. Um, and that's my passion. Now I've got a wife, right? And she helps me unpack a lot of that. So I would be nothing without her. Uh, so I can't take the credit for being like, I mean, I, I, I go crazy about some stuff, but Hey, guess what? I've got this great freaking partner who talks will, me down from the ledge. <laughs> yes. And I mean, that's kind of what we do. I mean, we talk both of each other down from the ledge and we solve each other's problems sometimes where we know that we're not great at it. So um, I'm obviously a firm believer in, in like having a good like partner and stuff. And so, yeah, I am, I'm just as, as crazy. Uh, But luckily I have someone who's crazy in the opposite places. I'm crazy so that we can kind of level each other out. Well, uh, you gave me a good segue a few minutes ago when you mentioned your uh, little political club or whatever you want to call it. So why don't yeah. you kind of just detail how how now that now that you had established yourself as a businessman, entrepreneur who in, in, in your own community, what prompted you? I think you said around 2018 is when you started to, to get more uh, involved politically. So what prompted you to do that? And maybe you can just detail how you kind of went about all this. Yeah, so... Uh... You know, after the 2012 and the Romney stuff and the Ron Paul thing, I got extremely disillusioned, uh, burnout and burnout. And then I kind of went through the, uh, hey, let me start my business thing. Um, now we've got a great friend in common, uh, the great Tho Bishop. Tho Bishop is uh, one of my neighbors, but also one of my good friends. And uh, me and Tho, and then if you know uh, Ford, surf- the surfing violinist. Um, we had really just, we always had the conversation going, right? And Tho is a a great example to me uh, because what everybody sees maybe on the internet of his contributions towards Mises and stuff, what they don't see is like the freaking, it's like Ron Paul. You know, they see all the glitzy debates and stuff like that, but they don't see like the pounding the pavement and knocking on doors and organizing people. If you could come to Bay County, which is the adjacent county to here, I mean, you know, the people who line up to either volunteer with Tho or hear him talk. So he as a friend was a great inspiration to me. And I, I had kind of said, like, look, man, I'm I'm a little bit involved politically here, but it's, you know, the average age of the room is 75 years old and it's like a dusty library and it's happening every other, you know, every other month on a Monday night. And I'm sitting here like I'm I'm a big DeSantis fan. Like we are the freest place in the entire world right now. Uh, if, you know, uh, one of the points I make at one of my meetings is, is that, you know, I think Florida was the freest part in the entire world um, since March, 2020. And I think the Florida panhandle was the freest part of Florida. And I think that Walton County where I live was the freest County in the, in the Florida panhandle. 
So if we're sitting here today in a room talking about freedom, we are sitting in the freest room in the world. And that's not just a privilege, but it's an obligation. And I would think that and feel that. And and I just kind of said, you know what? Um, I've got these skills from my time with Ron Paul and the campaign. I've got these business skills. I don't worry about money anymore because I'm set. I've got a chance to, and I've got a little bit of time. Um, Can I allocate some of my time and resources and effort to at least organizing something here uh, to have an impact? And you know that might have started on a small scale like a year ago, uh, but just in the last six months, I mean, it's it's blown up. Um, As I said right before this phone call, you know, I had someone from the DeSantis campaign calling me. Uh, asking to help coordinate an event out here, and here's little old me, right. little old me yeah. with construction companies, um, and you know I've got the the chairmans of the the executive committee. I've got committee. I've got people coming to me, calling to me, ask the stuff, and I'm just a guy, right? Mm-hmm. And but what I've shown is just kind of some natural leadership in my businesses, uh, and then you know some of this organization I've done on the political level, and it's just really taken off. So. Um, maybe what was it like six months ago when it was like all hot and heavy with the post-libertarian stuff, you know, I'm sitting in there like hearing people talk about like, and I'm like, this is literally my life like playing out. (laughs) I'm, I'm literally seeing that, you know, me just being a member of the community and I'm, I'm not changing who I am. I'm going to these meetings talking about federal reserve or culture wars or whatever. And there's an army of people who are like looking for that type of leadership. Uh, and that would have been my case uh, while the debate is going on is that, you know, where Austrians or libertarians or, or whatever you want to call it, where that group is, um, it, that's not the playbook, you know, Austrian economics or anarcho or any of that stuff. That's not the playbook. It's the weapon mm. and who there's a big army of people out there who are more well-versed in economics and, uh, you know, the cultural stuff. They just need to put themselves in the right position to have an effect. And that's what you're seeing here, you know, from my personal example, from the counties to the left and right of me is that, you know, we're going in there with this knowledge and uh, we're just organizing good people. And guess what? They maybe agree with you on, you're lucky if you agree with someone on 30% of stuff and that's okay. Um, They're good people. They're my neighbors. And we're all organizing for the same thing. It's to keep Florida free. Uh, not just to keep Florida free, but we're going on the offense this year. And so a little part of the club I started, that's, you know, if you want to follow us on Twitter, that's at 30A club or the 30A GOP, which is named after kind of a local road here. Um, You know, we're drawing in really high level speakers that exceed who we are. You know, this is a club that represents this, one of the smallest counties in Florida, but we've had, you know, a doctor speak who, uh, helped write the bill that DeSantis sponsored. We had his press secretary speaking. We have politicians calling in from different parts of the state and other states asking to come speak or to come be in front of the people. And that's kind of what I told this group here is like, look, uh, we're here to get people informed about what matters to us. But I see a vision here. I think that this platform far exceeds small little Walton County. And if we can be, if we're the, if, if I'm, if what I'm saying is that we're the freest part of Florida and the, and we're the freest part of the world, you know, we have not only the privilege, but the duty and responsibility to make sure that we're a platform for freedom loving people. And that, you know what, it's not just to give them a platform it's to make sure that we're deciding the platform and you come here to be influenced by it. And we're going to show you what success looks like. And then you can go out to the world and we'll support you or whatever. So, uh, it, it's very interesting. It's been a whirlwind like year or two. Um, getting involved in this, but I'm really starting to see 
you know, so much of the rewards right now, just based off of like people in the community coming up to me and just excited and invigorated, right. For something that I consider very important, which is the, uh, you know, DeSantis's next election coming up in uh, primary in August and then November. I don't want to hammer too much on people that have chosen a certain path that has come up before on this show. But I'm just curious your thoughts on how, because you will hear some people like, well, that's great, but I just can't stand to be involved in the GOP. I can't stand to be around people that hold, you know, exposition about Israel or, you know, why position about immigration. How, like, because I'm sure I'm sure you interact with a lot of people in the GOP that yeah, oh, like, yeah. as someone who's libertarian who you know, has those that, that belief system that you hear a lot of things that you don't agree with. But why do you still see that as the best path as opposed to you know this whole other path of saying no, we're over here, we're the libertarians, come talk to us? Instead, you seem to be saying we should go to them where they are and yeah. they, what they are, what you know, what they the, the the world they already live in, the context they already understand, and bring those same ideas there. Yeah, you know, it was business that taught me that. Um you you need to go where problems need to be solved. And so if you're on the libertarian side of things, the big L stuff or whatever, you're talking to a bunch of people who agree with a hundred percent of what you say, or ninety-nine percent rather, you're not solving anyone's problems. Uh you're it's a it's a social club. You're talking about stuff. I, I'll I'll grant that there's some um philosophical things maybe hashed out or worked out. But, you know, you go over to the GOP, I mean, it's this, it's people who are there for a lot of different reasons. They live there, they believe some general tenets, and they want to know what to do next. And like, you know, just a, a tiny little bit of what I know is like, you know, a book of problems, like fixes for a lot of problems they have, right? And, and so... I personally go with the GOP because I say GOP, these are just my neighbors. These are the guys that, you know, I see at the restaurant or I work next to or something like that. And and I think about business, like you can't be successful in business and just trying to sell, you know, products to people who are already have something like that. Like you got to go out into the wild world and talk to people who disagree with you and you can find ways to collaborate with them. And if you're solving their problems and you're helping them achieve their things and they're helping you achieve your goals. And so it's really just a business concept for me. Hey, can I build a machine and okay, who has the most need right now? I mean, this is a group right here who needs this need. Now, maybe you're in a bigger, you know, metro area like Houston and it's uh, extremely built out and it makes sense to kind of uh, specialize into libertarian party versus whatever, but where I live, uh, and it's growing though too. It's I, I just want people. I don't even care if you are GOP. We just happen to come under that banner, and I'm here to mobilize an army uh, uh, to to fight for freedom. And we disagree on most of that stuff, but you know what? You know what'll distract you away from caring about the ways you disagree is go have like a really busy company to run or a bunch of jobs or three kids or a wife that really makes you not care where you disagree. You only have the time to focus on your overlap and just out of, uh, you know, my split amount of time. Yeah. Okay. We disagree on that. That's whatever. I still actually like that person. That person actually really likes me and uh, we get so much accomplished as opposed to I'm trying to tell them why it's, um, you know, slavery for, uh, property tax to exist in 
you know, Walton County or whatever. Or I imagine right? even, even in business, if, if you're trying to make business deals, but then instead of actually like making the deal and trying to figure out how you guys can work together and overlap, you're like, you're arguing about the philosophy of business and the whole time. And you're just like, okay, so that doesn't actually help us accomplish the business. And yeah. in this case, you know, the business here is protecting your community and, and ha- keeping your community as free as possible. So like, who cares about this philosophy stuff, which you can have arguments about until four in the morning when you're making friends with these people. But if you agree on that overlap um, and you agree, like this is the business we're here to do, then that other stuff is just window dressing. Yeah. And I have, I feel like I have a, if, if I can come, if I can be here and I can be like a large member of the community and I can not take over the good old boy system, but be the good old boy system. um, You know, I'm willing to talk to a lot of different people uh, who, you know, we disagree with and, and, and check my purity too. If what I'm going to do is end up not only protecting, you know, my family and the people around me, but putting ourselves in a position to, it's no longer about defense at this point to me, it's about offense. So can we put ourselves in a spot to offensively make sure that we are free and getting freer every day? Uh, You know, I'm a big DeSantis fan, as you know, and um, honestly, there's a lot of parts of him that really made me like change my views on things in terms of being so dogmatic because it's like every single day that guy's chalking up a win and uh you know he's probably done more in a year than um freaking 10,000 people all together and uh is it ideologically pure in some ways i don't even care at this point but it's not even it's not even that i'm judging him for that like like go on the offense offense is ugly uh there's going to be some you know bloody knees and bloody elbows but for too long we sit back and we're like yeah we're ideologically pure and the left keeps gaining ground and the neocons keep gaining ground and the rhinos keep gaining. So, Hey, maybe I'm bad. Maybe I've gone to the dark side or whatever, but I don't care. I have a, a duty and responsibility to protect me and my family and all my neighbors and like my way of life here. And I'm willing to do that. That's, that's how much that matters. to me. I feel like that ideological purity there. You see when I can kind of take a step back and look at the big picture and look at the the kind of people that are most pushing the ideological purity of some kind, um, often you realize like, okay, is this just funneling energy away from activism, yeah. from a, some from something effective into the ideological purity funnel where we can just put all these people who have great ideas, great ethics, great morality, and we convince them this is the only place you can maintain your ethics and maintain your principles. But it's really not true because you can still maintain your principles and still make yeah progress in the political arena the business arena whatever it doesn't mean your principles don't exist or aren't yours it just means that not everything is about having the right principles at the right about every single subject under the sun yeah and i I don't know when this airs but at this time like yesterday elon musk would have bought twitter right elon musk and like one fell swoop had more impact than every single libertarian ever put together like in entirety right now that's not to discount it because we have all the great libertarian thinkers and stuff like that but um it, it shows you like if every libertarian today if we could snap a finger and every single libertarian or whatever who's in that group could stop what they're doing and go apply it to a business and i'm not talking about a business like hey look i found a way to like sell bitcoin whatever like it like i'm talking about like a mop store and a cleaning company and uh you know very boring companies if if every libertarian could stop today and go put their efforts towards that 
this world would look completely different because you would have the people who know how it should be run, like in the most influential places. Right. And I feel one of the downsides about this, about the, the movement in terms of the ideology is it pulls people away into this philosophical debate and like Marshawn Lynch, I'm just about that action boss. Like ideas are great, but at some point you've got to put something into action and, uh, and who better to do that than the most brilliant minds uh, which are all the people who are reading. I mean, y- you've got freaking 15 year olds reading uh, theory of money and credit and stuff, right? Go weaponize that, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you see some good indications. If I'm looking at like a market analyst, you see a lot of libertarian podcasts start up, right? Um, and, and I think that is like an internal of some of these younger guys saying, I want to do something. I want to weaponize mm-hmm. it. My yeah. knowledge uh, I think it's maybe, and maybe a libertarian podcast is right for some people. It obviously is for you, right? That, that's why I started the podcast because the, you know, the Ron Paul campaign had, had wound down and that was my thing. That was what I put my energy into. And then yeah. I was just like, well, I got to put this somewhere. So I'm going to put it here. Yeah. And if some of those, those people, I say, guys, some of those people could say, Hey, look, let me take this effort. Cause it's a lot of work to do a podcast and there's some really successful ones out there and stuff, but Hey, let me pivot and let me put this energy towards um, you know, uh, a sidewalk washing company. Um, that doesn't sound exciting, but it is exciting. Uh, it is exciting once you see that, holy crap, I can weaponize my knowledge. And here I am. I mean, I, I'm only speaking as a guy who've done it. I, I don't have to work for the rest of my life ever again. I choose to, cause I enjoy it. Uh, this is my creativity. It's fun. I enjoy starting new companies, but I was literally just a dude, you know, a handful of years ago, like struggling to find that thing. And I finally just said, Hey, look, if, if I really believe in this economics, I need to put it into action and this is where I'm going to do it. And, uh, and, and don't let the short conversation make it seem like it was easy and it still isn't very hard, but it was super hard. But, um, you know, the impact I'm having is transcending just a little old me and I'm, I'm grateful for that. All right, Brett. Well, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for your own journey and for you being here to share it with everybody. Cause I think, I think especially like libertarians can learn a lot from, from your story. So, uh, before I let you go, why don't you just give the little roundup again? I know you mentioned a couple things yeah. there, your, uh, your sub stack on how people can reach out to you, especially if they're, um, in somewhere in the redneck Verve area, they could uh, literally reach out to you. Yeah. So I, I make this offer all the time. My Twitter is at Brett Lindell. That's like uncle Mike, uh, at B R E T T L I N D E L L. Um, my Substack, brettlindell.substack.com, uh, our, uh, 30A club is at 30A club on Twitter. Uh, if you reach out to me and you're thinking about business stuff, it's already happened a few times. If you email me, so my email is brett at brettlindell.com or find me on Twitter. If you email me, I know BS will sit down and go over some stuff with you. I've only had like one or two people take me up on that since I did a podcast a few months ago, but if you're thinking about what's next, now I'm going to give you some very harsh advice and I'm going to be like very direct, but that's exactly what you need. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about doing something, you have no excuse because I literally will sit down with you and kind of go over some stuff. I'm not trying to charge or anything like that. I'm just trying to help. So at Brett Lindell, uh, brettlindell.substack.com. Uh, yeah, just find me on Twitter, email me and Mark, you are the man. It was awesome having you as a guest. We hope to have you again real soon. And honored and privileged to be, 
you know, on the lines of liberty. Well, Brett, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, that it's a, uh, it's all reciprocal here. You know, I was a guest. Now you're a guest. Yeah. So that's like how it, it works. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate you. Sure thing, brother. Keep up the great work. And of course, as always, keep on roaring. All right, gang. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Brett Lindell and a conversation that I think, well, speaking of synergy, synchronicity, I, I think the timing of this conversation, speaking of timing, <laughs> for those that have been following that, that is a word that kind of ticked me off. But uh, the timing of this interview, I think is very apropos with what I have been talking about with the message that I have been trying to send, uh, particularly to many who have chosen the path of the Mises Caucus at this point. And I don't want to harp on it, but what I do want to do is take this time to read some of the personal responses that I got. Uh, I got permission to to read most of these. Um, I believe I did anyway. Some of them were, were public on Twitter, so I think those, uh, you know, goes without saying that I could read those. Um, but, you know, for the most part, I just really wanted to convey some of the thoughts that I have gotten, because if you are don't see all of this stuff, if you don't hear about, uh, you know, some of the private messages that I do get, uh, it, the context might not be as clear as to why I do what I do. But it, it, the reason I talk the way I'm talking, the reason I've said a lot of what I said is because I know it, it does resonate with people. And I know it is affecting some people, not all people. Some people do not like what I'm talking about. And that's okay. That's fine. Um, I'm not, a, I'm, you know, I'm not a baby. I don't take disagreements uh, personally. I don't cry about disagreements. Um, some might say I was crying about disagreements last week, um, but whatever. The point is I had to put it all out there because I had seen so many people responding to things I wasn't saying. <laughs> I So many people acting as if I am Andrew. I am Cyprian. I am Pete. I am Tho. I'm not any of those people. I like a lot of those people. Some of them are doing things I find interesting, but I'm not those people. So respond to things I say. That's really, that's really all I ask when it comes right down to it. But that being said, I would you want to start with some of the comments I got. All right. This one is a direct message that I got on Twitter. He said, Hey man, listen to your most recent podcast this morning. I am 37 and of the revolution too, the Ron Paul revolution. That is, I agree with you 100%. These kids in quotes are being led to slaughter. I hope I am 100% wrong. So do I. Thanks for your honesty though. Another one. This episode today was fire. I too had an extremely difficult time watching the world go crazy with the vid. I shut down in many ways. I'm going to leave out a personal detail here. For a long time, I couldn't even handle any outside input, podcasts included, because it was just too much. I had signed up and done LP stuff pre-COVID, but their response of take the knee, I just couldn't hang with people like that. Then MC supported Karen Ann, and she, from personal experience, is a straight-up statist. I won't comment on that. That's her comment, not mine. I don't know Karen Ann well enough to say something like that. So today's episode really, really resonated with me. A long time and true fan of the work you've done. Thanks for being willing to say what you want when you want. Love it. This next one is from Twitter, public Twitter, so I can say it is from the account at Degenerate Trad. I like that name. In 2019, I left politics to lose 100 pounds and get laid. I had took the jab to keep my job last year to support me and my partner, and I regret it. Mark Clare's most recent podcast is the most important thing for every young libertarian man to listen to. Another one, a private message. Hey, we don't know each other, but I added you a while back because I enjoyed your podcast and what you were doing. I just want to say I really appreciated your episode about the MC, the Mises Caucus. I was a state organizer for, I'll leave this out, I'll leave the state out, uh, and I stepped down after my wife and I talked and realized we didn't have the financial stability or the free time to donate so much effort to a cause I wasn't 100% sure was going to result in the best possible outcome. I love the realness and I hope there is more of it. You're the man. You are too. 
I said you are too. <laughs> this is another one uh, publicly on Twitter from at a local American. I've listened to Mark Claire off and on for years. This is my favorite Mark Claire. Not taking shit and living in reality. I love it. Another one from Paxitarchy. Mark Claire is right. You need to focus on yourself and immediate family first. And only when that house is in order should you think about politics. After 2020 madness, I focus on spending time with family and building community around church. Paid off more than politics. Of course it has. (laughs) Of fucking course it has. I'm just going to read one more. This is an email that I got. And this one one really hit me um, more than anything. Uh, I did get permission to run this. Uh, I'm not going to say his name. I will say his first name, Jimmy. I think that's that's fair enough. <laughs> if you can track down who he is uh, based on that alone, then then I'm impressed and, and you win the prize. Uh, I'm going to read this email, though. Hey, Mark, you told everyone's email, so I figured I'd tell you you're right about me. First, I want to say I meet all the stereotypes of the anarchist in his 20s. I've recently become more of an anarcho-syndicalism kind of guy, but that's not the point. It's not the point. You and Dave, even if I changed my worldview, always were like the older brothers I wish I had. This is referring to Dave Smith, of course. And Dave talks about that a lot, too. Um, Family, your family, your friends, and yourself is what comes first. I got out of the mental hospital a few weeks back. I've struggled with drugs since I was 15, and you and Dave were the first two podcasts I listened to, and I felt, like, safe. I know this sounds cringe as fuck and weak and pussy shit, but no matter what was going on in my life, I could always listen to you, Jimmy Dore, or Dave, and, well, laugh and and think to not feel so alone. I lost the love of my life because of the bullshit degenerate things, as you call them. I did. And hearing you say that, I had to park my forklift at work because I know you said that if this hits home with one or two people, it's worth it. And I am one of them. I just got back to work after being off for five months. Something went south when I attempted suicide before getting going to get treatment. But nonetheless, while I was off, I listened to almost all of your show and Dave's and Jimmy's and a fuckload of Max Blumenthal. And I realized, man, I can't. I'm just laughing at the the Max Blumenthal being tossed in there with us. And I realized, man, I can't end the state if I can't even stop hating myself and don't take care of myself and my loved ones. Thank you for that rant. Thank you for kicking my ass like an older brother does. Like I see you and Dave, how you see us like in reverse. You're my idols. And I needed to hear that more than I can express. I'm going to call my shrink and make an extra appointment this week. And I'm dead serious about that. You're a real motherfucker. <laughs> oh, and Hulk Hogan joining the NWO is not the best heel turn. That was Triple H turning on Randy Orton. Sorry, mate. You boomers get everything. Not the greatest heel turn. Of course, he's referring to my reference to some of my recent conversations as a heel turn. Now, in pro wrestling, a heel turn is when a good guy goes bad. Now, I don't think I've really gone bad. It's more of a sarcastic thing, but uh, that it's in response to one of the comments saying that Hulk Hogan's heel turn when he went bad in the 90s in WCW and joined the NWO, formed the NWO, uh, that that was the greatest heel turn of all time. And it was, Jimmy, I'm sorry. I love your email. I appreciate your email. It moved me in a way I I can't even really describe, but stop it. Triple eight. That was the worst counter you could. There are other arguments I could possibly entertain for best heel turn of all time. Triple H turning on Randy Orton. You're such a zoomer, bro, but I love you. I love you. And thank you so much. And it really moves me to, to hear that, um, to hear that words that I've said can actually impact somebody. Um, sometimes you forget that as a podcaster, actually, sometimes you forget that thousands of people are listening because I'm just talking to one person at a time or just talking into a microphone and you can forget 
You know, if you're, if I was actually in a room with these thousands of people listening to every episode, I would be overwhelmed <laughs> by all the people listening. It would blow my mind, but you can forget sometimes. So even though I see all the download numbers and I see all the views on YouTube and I know that people are, are following me and I know that people, a lot of what I say is resonating with people. Honestly, a message, an email does so much more to, to remind me of that than any kind of download numbers ever could. So thank you, Jimmy. Um, thank all of you who have tuned in to me over the years. And thanks to everybody who has reached out. And thanks to anybody who I am resonating with. And if what I'm talking about isn't resonating with you, no worries. That's all good. I'm not going to resonate with everybody. But I'm, I'm here to find the people that I am resonating with. And um, that's it. I'm, I'm getting a little emotional. So I think I'm just going to wide things down. But thanks so much to Brett for coming on the show. And thanks to every single one of you who have been here with me this whole time, um, who will continue to be with me wherever these things may take them. And uh, again, please do subscribe to the Lions of Liberty with Mark Clarifeed. Funny, these last weeks, I've gotten a ton of new Substack subscribers, and I have not written anything on Substack in like a month. So I'm going to try to do something with about that. Um, it's part of, look, man, life has been crazy. Life isn't crazy for everybody. Life has been super fucking insane crazy for me. So it's, it's a miracle. I've even kept my two podcasts going. Of course, Lions of Liberty for comic fans out there. I also do the second print comics podcast every single Wednesday with my good friend Remzo Martinez. Be sure to check that one out if you want a little break from the politics but he'll still want to hear me rant about things you can do that over at second print comics you can of course subscribe to the lions liberty network feed hear brian on wednesdays with mean age daydream you can hear john's and he has gotten i'm not going to reveal it but he has got an interview coming up that is going to blow your freaking minds and blow your damn socks off and i'm just going to leave it at that i don't want to overhype but that was pretty hypey, I guess. Uh, check out john's fighting freedom all of these shows you can get by subscribing to the lions of liberty network feed and of course, if you want to pick and choose, you can subscribe to any of those shows individually as well uh, for early access to shows like my rant that my Mises caucus rant that was live at three in the morning. Only pride members, only our Patreon and local supporters got to see me in all my 3 a.m. glory with my shitty lighting, uh, all my stutters and everything in there. So check that out. Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty, or we can also find us on locals, lionsofliberty.locals.com. Until next time, my friends. Live and live free and live free and live free and live free